Hi, my name is Londe Yusuf. And my name is Reggie Williams. And we're the co-founders of Black Film Space. Black Film Space is a grassroots organization dedicated to enhancing the skill sets of black filmmakers and building a community of creatives. We host events such as screenwriting workshops, panels, mixers, and other events that are designed to support black content creators. In the latest episode of the Black Film Space podcast, we interview Anidra Edwards. Anidra was an assistant editor on the HBO show Crashing and is currently a visual effects assistant editor on the CW's Black Lightning. We talked to Anidra about what a day in the life is like in the editorial room, whether or not editors need agents, the difference between editing a superhero show and a comedy, and much more. Before we begin the interview, we have a few brief announcements about our events in the spring 2019. We have two screenwriting workshops coming up, one on Thursday, April 25th, and one on Tuesday, May 14th, both in Midtown Manhattan. Admission is $6. On Wednesday, May 1st, we're co-hosting the Film Fam Mixer, along with some of the other leading filmmaking organizations for people of color in New York City. In the building, we will have the Black TV and Film Collective, Who You Know, Brown Girls Doc Mafia, and the Black and Latino Film Coalition. This is a free event and is going to be at a venue called Common Ground at 63rd Gansevoort Street in Manhattan. On Saturday, May 11th, we are hosting a directing workshop with Shaka King in downtown Brooklyn. Shaka King is a native and resident of Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, who has written and directed episodes of HBO's High Maintenance and Random Acts of Flyness. We're going to screen select scenes from his latest films, Newlyweeds and Mulligans, followed by a Q&A to discuss how he executed his vision. This workshop is ideal for filmmakers who want an inside look on why King made specific angle choices, lighting choices, the process of working with actors, and much more. For more info on all these events, visit blackfilmspace.com. Now, on to our interview. Hey, Anidra, how are you? How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you very much for joining us on the Black Film Space podcast. We're looking forward to your insight. No worries. I'm excited to be here and just glad I have the, you know, have knowledge that I can share. Thank you. Um, so to start off, you are an assistant editor for Black Lightning. Yeah, specifically in visual effects. Specifically in visual effects. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get to Black Lightning? How did you get started in your career? Wow, that's that's a loaded question. <laughs> it's been quite a journey. Um, I guess, I mean, if, if we want to start, I guess, from beginning to beginning, beginning. Um, I actually, um, when I graduated college, um, which was in 2010, um, that was, I, well, I'd already been kind of introduced uh, to working with um, editorial and media while I was in college and kind of production. And I used to be a production assistant when um, I was in college. And so um, I also interned at BT. That was one of my first um, industry jobs or um, introduction to the industry. Um, I guess my summer of my junior year going into college, uh, sorry, summer going into my senior year is when I interned with BT and I started off as a production assistant. Um, I did my first event. Um, I guess my first show was Bobby Jones gospel show and the post, um, coordinator or, or, um, 
yeah, uh, sorry, production coordinator and production manager. They really uh, were great to work with and they enjoyed having me. And so I got invited back um, for several more um, live shows or um, I guess uh, award shows, you uh, could say. So that's when I started being a production assistant for um, Bobby Jones Gospel Show, like uh, two seasons of that. I did Rip the Runway with BET, um, also BET award show. And I think there's another one, but I can't remember it at the moment. <laughs> and so um, that was my first introduction to it. And then after I graduated college, um, I came back and worked with BT. Um, for like a summer, I was an on-air promotions coordinator, which was a fancy title for someone who schedules the commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so I did that filling in for a summer. And then I actually got an internship right after that. Um, I guess you could say it was an externship because I had technically graduated college already. Um, but a lot of companies are not trying to do that anymore. Like you have to be in school to have the internship credit. Um, but I came out during the recession. So <laughs> um, I did an internship um, 2010 with NBC um, at NBC headquarters, Rockefeller Plaza in New York. And I worked in affiliate marketing. So we were responsible for sending different um, network content um, to the various NBC affiliate stations, you know, spread across the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had owned and operated um, stations as well as some stations that are owned by you know, various other companies. We would send them our content um, that would be for advertising or for marketing, usually for like Dateline, NBC News programming, uh, which would include the Today Show. Etc. And so interned there for a season and then was able to parlay that into becoming associate producer and editor for my local NBC station for in my hometown, which uh, is Washington, D.C. Okay. And so I um, went from New York back to D.C. and started working there, worked there about a little less than two years and around, I guess, um, my experience there, like it taught me a lot. I worked specifically in news advertising and I found out through that process, like I enjoyed news, but you know, it wasn't necessarily where I felt I was meant to be. Um, I had to uh, write, basically I wrote and edited um, 15 to 30 second promos that were regarding uh, five o'clock and 11 o'clock news stories. And so most of the five o'clock news stories were consumer stories, and then eleven o'clock, you know, news was more the uh, more serious stories, more of adult, you know, based type stories. And so that was great, a great experience. Um, I learned that writing news, writing news for news advertising wasn't like my forte, wasn't necessarily where I wanted to be, but I loved editing, and so I really used that opportunity. Um, to find myself an editorial, like, okay, I really, I can do, I can be in a creative space and edit. And I knew like from then on, I wanted to be an editor. And so um, I left NBC and actually went to grad school, went to American University, um, which I know, you know, some of my colleagues from there. And I did American University's um, MFA program. Uh, So that brings us to 2012 (laughs) when I started the program there. And I really enjoyed my experience um, doing the MFA program at American. Um, I focused, you know, most of my projects were in editorial, um, but I got a very well-rounded experience uh, while I was at American. Um, And I also studied abroad while I was there. I went to film school in the Czech Republic. Um, 
for one of their um, performing arts academies there. And I uh, really enjoyed the opportunity. And from while I was in grad school, I worked as an assistant editor um, for National Geographic Channel. That was one of my primary um, gigs uh, while I was there. And then once I finished um, my master's, um, that was 2015, um, I went back to, well, I stayed in that geo for a little bit of time. And then I ended up transitioning over to Discovery Channel, um, which is at the time their headquarters it was in Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, now they're, uh, they're transitioning out. They, I think they closed that location. Um, but I went over, hopped over there, and I worked on a show called The Puppy Bowl, uh, which is on Animal Planet. And so I was an assistant editor in reality TV, basically. Um, so I worked on that show, and I knew kind of like through talking with my colleagues that I wanted to move to Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, I had some classmates who had already kind of done the jump from the East Coast to West Coast, and um, that was kind of a goal. Like I wanted to have that experience. And so I started working, um, I was a, you know, assistant editor uh, with Discovery, but I also would freelance um, for smaller independent companies that did programming for um, Discovery as well. So I worked on several Shark Week shows um, while I was starting that year. Um, I guess to say those, those two years um, right after, uh, I won't say two years, I think it was just a year right after I um, graduated from grad school. So I was working like everywhere. I felt like I was working like 50 jobs. <laughs> I was assistant editor uh, for, you know, I had Puppy Bowl and I hopped to Shark Week shows. I was also um, an editor for AARP, had like their own kind of editorial team. Mm-hmm. So I was doing more corporate style editing um, as well. And then I ended up moving from working on the show you know, that was on Discovery for Puppy Bowl, also to being an international editor mm-hmm. um, in their operations department. So we were responsible for reformatting shows for international broadcasts that um, had already broadcasted in the U.S. So uh, that, see, that brings us up to 2016. I was doing all of that. And then 2016, I made the move to the West Coast, mm-hmm. um, made the jump over here. And since I had already kind of experienced in reality TV, um, or docu-series, I guess you could say. Um, I knew that I could get, like, I could get work in LA um, off of the the freelance knowledge that I had um, from the East Coast. I kind of had some, you know, websites I go to specifically for editorial jobs and some little, um, you know, connects that I had. So I knew I could get work. So I moved out here um, and I actually started working with a production company called World of Wonder Productions as an assistant editor there. And they primarily produced Bravo Network um, shows. Uh, they also, their, their big show um, is RuPaul's uh, Drag, um, RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. And so that's their like, um, that's their like Emmy award winning show. And so um, that was pretty cool of an experience. I worked on uh, a show with them called Real Estate Wars. That was probably my primary show. And then I also hopped to Million Dollar Listing. Los Angeles. Uh, so those were like my two primary shows. And so I worked with them for about probably a little less than eight months. Um, and I hopped to, then I hopped to uh, Discovery again. Um, well, a Discovery show. It was actually produced by uh, another independent company. Um, but I hopped to a show, Naked and Afraid, mm-hmm. as an assistant editor. And actually had, by the time I had moved 
uh, to LA, I had already finished the credentials to join my union, uh, which is the Motion Picture Editors Guild. Mm -hmm. So I was actually like networking to try to get my first union show. Um, and so Naked and Afraid with Discovery Channel, which is a um, extreme uh, survival competition, <laughs> which uh, deals with uh, survivalists who, people who are, you know, survivalists in their, their own world, you know, outside of the show, they actually come and they try to last 28 days with limited resources mm -hmm. naked. <laughs> and so, yeah, which, say again? I said that doesn't sound desirable. Well, you know, for them, it's, uh, you know, that's kind of a world that, you know, they exist in. And it, it, it I don't know, it's one of uh, Discovery's, like, biggest shows. Like, it's one of their biggest hits. And so it's interesting being in, when I was assistant editor on that show, um, a lot of people would ask me, um, oh, do you, uh, do you get the footage blurred, like, you know, before you see it? And I'm like, no, like, I get raw footage. So I see everybody's everything. <laughs> And so that was a really interesting experience. Um, so I was actually there for a really short time, um, probably like less than a month, mm. um, before I got my first scripted show, which was HBO's uh, comedy Crashing. Yeah. I worked on season two. That's dope. Yeah, so it was, uh, I had been like, you know, when I moved here, I really hustling, um, net networking as much as I could, talking to other assistant editors who had already done scripted TV. Um, and, you know, even before then, I, I had like each phase was, you know, how can I get into, how can I, you know, consistently work in LA? And it was like, okay, I've got a consistent work. How can I, you know, get out of reality TV into scripted? It's hmm. all so, like, the, you know, learning that step. So I met a lot of um, great individuals along the way. And so I went, I hopped to HBO. And again, I was there for um, not a super long time. Um, I actually was filling in for an assistant editor that got sick. And um, HBO ended up liking me and wanted me to stay. And I was, I was, I was really excited. Um, but because I knew that my contract may not be that long, um, because I, this assistant editor may come back, I actually had networked to start at Black Lightning um, at CW. So I worked on crashing for... Um, about two and, two and a half months um, in its editorial schedule. And I ended up hopping over to um, Black Lightning um, on its first season. So I started that show from scratch and I initially interviewed as a picture assistant editor. And um, what is that? So a picture assistant editor is, or for picture means you're dealing specifically, um, you know, with the, the, the layout of the show like you're working with an editor that is editing the picture um and i guess you would say just like mo like how you would think most editors that's usually a picture editor mm -hmm. um and i guess how would i phrase it um i started i guess interviewing for if an editor came onto the show and didn't have an assistant editor with them uh, which usually a lot of editors would bring an assistant editor with them. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a, a usual flow. Um, but I, in case there was an editor who did not have an assistant editor, um, my producers interviewed me so that I could, you know, be available. And so I got a call from my producers one day and they said, Hey, all of our, um, you know, all of our editors, it looks like they're going to be bringing in their assistant editors, but we have um, an opportunity in visual effects are you interested? And I said, of course, you know, of course, you know, I was, I was open and uh, they had saw that I had visual effects experience on my resume, that I at least knew how to dive into After Effects and dive into a few other programs um, and kind of work my way around. So 
um, I came on as a visual effects assistant editor, and I've been with them since season one, and I'm about to go into season three. Nice. So um, that's uh hopefully that wasn't too long. That's <laughs> okay. That's okay. Breath of it. That's dope. How did you? What are the requirements to get into that the union? So the requirements for um, the Motion Picture Editors Guild um, it varies for depending on the position that you're coming in. Mm-hmm. So you can come in as an assistant editor. You can come in as an editor, um, a sound editor. Um, so there's lots of different varying levels. So for assistant editor, you have to have um, 100, uh, 100 days uh, worked on a um, production, you know, that gets approved by the Editors Guild. So usually if you are, um, I guess it's getting, it's getting very interesting period of time. Um, usually if you're working on something that's aired, on TV, that's pretty like, you know, pretty solid. Like they can back background check that. And um, you're usually pretty good, pretty good to go. Uh, with new media, it gets really interesting. Um, like web series and things like that. It's in a, you know, there's like different qualifications for that. Um, and then also if you worked on the feature side, of course, you know, you can usually use that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of depends, you know, on what the, the level of, uh, the level of the product and the project. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's usually 100 days, you know, worked on an approved project from the union. And then, um, let's see, yeah, it's usually that. And then you have to pay your fees. Okay. Um, and then also you take, uh, we do a number of like courses, training courses. Um, once you come in, um, once they've like cleared all of your, you know, all of your material and everything like that, um, you have to take these safety courses. Um, which for editorial, sometimes it doesn't always feel like it's applicable um, because it's telling you like how it's, it's, um, it, let's see how to phrase it. It is monitored by OSHA. And so a lot of the different courses deal with like, if you're on a production set, you know, like, what are your rights? Like, what are you supposed to know? What are you supposed to do? You know, kind of thing. And editorial, you know, a lot of times we're not on set. We're in a room, <laughs> in a dark room that's usually away from production um, and stuff. But you still have to do these training courses and everything. So those are one of the, that's one of the requirements. And then usually you're all cleared by the time you finish that. And then you just need your first union show. Um, and then you can start receiving union benefits. Okay. Okay, cool. What are some of the benefits? Uh, so the benefits are really great, actually. Um, and, and, you know, besides the obvious that happens with unions, you get a base pay, you know, for depending on the productions. So they have different tiers of productions. Um, you know, I like Black Lighting is considered a major studio or studio major mm-hmm. um, production. And so it's under Warner Brothers. And so I have um, a field representative who works with the union and with Warner Brothers to help make sure that I have everything that I need or if I have questions, um, you know, they can be that that liaison for me. So that's really great. Um, Coming from a freelance world, you know, before I moved to L.A., a lot of things I would have to scope out on my own Mm. or I was doing a lot by myself. So it's great to kind of have that support. Mm. Um, I have my pension and my health care through my union. So that's really great. Um, we actually almost went on strike earlier last year um, because we were renegotiating um, our, our deals through, um, we're part of IATSE um, or I-A-T-S-E, um, which there are a lot of uh, guilds and unions that fall under them um, in, the, in the, I guess, in the TV film world. So you have like uh, makeup artists, you know, that fall under IATSE. You have uh who else? We call them Teamsters. They're under there. Uh, gaffers. 
uh, a whole gamut. So um, that's kind of the umbrella of several unions <laughs> is IATSE. What, what is IATSE exactly? So IATSE is, let me give you, I don't want to say it wrong. <laughs> let me give you the- I mean, like, are they, they're not in, they're not a union. You said the uh, unions fall under them. So they're, they're a labor union. Okay. Like uh, in terms of how many, like they represent various artisans, craftspersons, technicians in the industry. Yeah. And then we're kind of split into our groups under IATSE. So uh, let me see. I want to make sure I get the correct International Association of Theatrical Stage Employees. Got it. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's the one because I didn't want to say it wrong. <laughs> uh, and so we fall under them into what we call locals. And so I'm local 700 which is the editor's guild. Um, and so you have several other uh, locals. Um, it is local 300, you know, maybe a local 200, I hope, hope that exists. But they're, um, you know, they're, they're separated under these local numbers. And then you have the name, like minus motion pictures of your guild and stuff. So we kind of, we fall under the umbrella of IATSE. And so they make the, um, they do the nego- labor negotiations for us that will end up affecting, you know, each local and stuff. So it was really interesting. We had a big vote uh, that came about last year um, that was going to be dealing with um, changes um, or contributions from various studios that would affect our pension. And so, and it dealt specifically with like streaming um, and then also um, our turnaround hours um, how, how would I explain that? So our turnaround hours in terms of if I finish work at, uh, if I finish at like 10 o'clock, I'm supposed to have a nine hour turnaround. So meaning like I have nine hours before I come back to work. Yeah. So, you know, we had to negotiate that. It used to be eight. We pitched for 10. I think we got nine, <laughs> um, you know, out of our new contract. Okay. And so, so yeah, so it's, it's really, um, I find that being in a union has been more beneficial than me operating um, as a contractor by myself. It's just, it just works so well in an industry that there's so many moving parts and moving arms um, that you kind of need that protection because uh, it's really easy to get taken advantage of. Okay. So you, you also mentioned that you did a lot of networking to, you know, to come up and, and as an assistant editor and to get on some of these bigger, bigger shows and narrative shows. Um, do you have an agent? I do not at the moment. Um, I know a lot of assistant editors who don't have agents at this stage. Um, but when you do go to the, once you, you know, go up to being an editor under the union, um, there is an option. And I know a lot of editors who do have agents. Um, it kind of helps to, to have someone go in there and do the conversations for you. That may be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, or to preserve a relationship, you may use your agent um, to do your negotiations for you for your contracts. Because, um, like I said, the union will have a base pay. You know, we'll have a, a base rate, but you can always negotiate up from there. Yeah. Um, so a lot of you know a lot of editors could, depending on the experience they're coming in with, or um, you know what have you, they can always negotiate. Mm-hmm. You know outside of that and so uh a couple of my editors on black lightning they have um, agents i guess a a good amount of my colleagues um who are editors who who have them and they can also help you find 
uh, the work that you need as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some projects that they specifically may want, you know, a woman in the editing and the cutting room, um, or they may want a person of color, or they may want a person with this experience. And your agent can be kind of, you know, those eyes for projects that are coming up that are looking for, I don't know, they want somebody, an editor who's been an athlete before, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a sports related, you know, topic. So it kind of helps to have that as well, those extra eyes. Mm-hmm. How does that? How does having, as using your example, how does having an athlete, how is that beneficial for the show or for the project? Because they're editing other, you're editing something that that is related to athletes or athletics. Like, what's the benefit of that? Well, when you're when you're in the cutting room, you're the last rewrite. You're the last stage of the story. You know, becoming what it is. And when you sit at the, when you sit at the, sit at your computer, when you're sitting at your, your editing system, um, all of your experiences affect how you may interpret a story. And that is, you know, beneficial. Sometimes it can, you know, work in many different ways. Um, but usually like it's beneficial to have the experiences that you come with to, to be able to articulate a story. And I've always, you know, have been, you know, I've found that, Certain editors, sometimes they, they're, you have editors that uh, will specify in certain things like that cut action or, um, you know, that exists like in the superhero world, you know, they're like, I, you know, this is my thing or I cut comedies and I'm sure when they come down, they, they're bringing all of their experiences with them. And so I think it's important to, when you build, start building connections and you're building a relationship with your directors and your producers, you know, that background could come into play. Um, there's certain there's certain moments where sometimes the script and the content don't necessarily connect. Like how something was filmed and then how it was written, <laughs> you have to be that connection. You have to find a way to articulate, this is what you wrote, you know, this is the emotion you want to evict and, uh, or invoke, and this is you know, how you filmed it. We've, I've got to make that, I've got to provide that answer. Because um, you, as an editor, you don't really have the choice to say, um, this doesn't work without coming up with another option, okay. you know, because you look at the footage every day, mm-hmm. you know, th- those, that's what good editors do. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't say this can't work without at least trying various options. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's, that's really important where your background comes in. You, you fill in that gap, you fill in um, that answer. Mm-hmm. And so Savior, you know, you're, you're doing like a, a sports series um if you are an athlete you may you know say like this is this is an important emotion or this is like how you can convey you know how i don't know let's say like a moment of a when an athlete gets injured you know what what that feels like that devastating feeling you know if you've been there (laughs) you know that feels like you know like you know that that jaw drop type of emotion and you can kind of look for how can you know look for those specific niche moments and maybe what was filmed yeah Uh, to help convey that so you said you were interviewed by some of the producers mm-hmm. to, to get on to cer- certain shows mm-hmm. when you're being interviewed is that in your pitch like do you are you pitching them a little bit like hey this is where my experience lies like how does that what what, what is it like being interviewed by a producer for an assistant editor uh job well when i'm interviewed as an assistant editor the we're we're also more of a technical side when you're assistant editing. We provide the technical expertise and also uh, kind of the, um, how would I describe it? You're, you're the first line of defense for your editor. 
you gotta, you like kind of filter through everything that gets to them. And so usually when I'm interviewing, if it's on the producer you know, level, cause I've interviewed from like just interviewing with an editor mm-hmm. who may want to bring me on as an assistant editor and then also like interviewing with the producer. And so a producer may want to hear about your experiences on the technical side. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure that you're able to, you know, do X, Y, and Z when it comes to the material. Um, you've worked with certain software programs that you're able to do the paperwork, et cetera. And also um, you do get creative, um, some creative opportunities while you're assisting with your editor. A lot of the, a lot of assistant editors do sound design um, on the TV side and even in the feature side, um, you're doing a lot of the sound design. So there's that experience, which a lot of people don't realize when they watch TV. Like we have sound mixers and sound editors who will come in later. But the first, uh, the first pass of sound is all is usually coming from the assistant editor and the editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, uh, a lot of the editors I know they'll do um, music, and then they'll allow their assistant editor to do sound sound effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually, when I'm interviewed, it's on the level of you know the technical side. Um, but they also will look at you know your experiences in terms of like what's your connection with the show. You know what what do you you know what what do you have in terms of your experiences in the content of that genre? You know, so that sometimes will come into play. Okay. And when you're, when you're being interviewed by an editor, what is that? So an editor, some, it's very, like some of my interviews with editors are very casual. <laughs> um, we're sometimes we're at a coffee shop, you know, uh, we might be at a park. <laughs> it's very casual. And usually the, the editor wants to make sure that you can gel with them. Uh, we work long hours, you know, in in post-production. And so a lot of the times an editor wants to make sure that they have, A, someone that they enjoy being around. Because if you're going to be with somebody 12 hours, 10 to 12 hours a day, you got to make sure you like them. <laughs> and then they also want to make sure that you can pick up for the needs that they want, you know, that you can kind of mesh with what their wants and needs are, mm-hmm. which is not just technical, but it's also, I have more, I've, I've, you know, I have editors in my circle who they care that their assistant is more, can notice the creative, uh, I guess, creative points that they need versus being technical. Mm-hmm. They're like the technical, you can always look up a YouTube video and figure out how to do something, mm-hmm. you know, on the technical end. But they're like, but you can't teach someone how to know, how to, you know, can't teach someone's story, um, you know, or on the fly. You know, they really want someone who can, um, you know, you're pulling sound bites that work or you're, you're marking takes that are better than others mm-hmm. um, outside of maybe what your script, your script supervisor may have noted. You know, someone who can really uh, be that support for the editor and everything. And also how you communicate, you know, how you do you present yourself well um, to others because you have, you're the one kind of talking to, you may talk to more producers, more of the, um, the executives, also maybe showrunners, you're you're being that line of communication mm-hmm. um, as well for your editor. So also how you present yourself to them and how you may communicate different issues and, and things. So that's kind of what an editor um, can look for when they're when they're talking to you. Okay. Um, I just wanted to go back to the agent. Um, I just wanted to go back to the agent thing real quick. So is it? So it it is uncommon for an assistant editor to have an agent. Like that's rare. I, I think if you have some assistant editors, we call them career assistant editors, mm-hmm. um, 
which they're assistant editors who don't want to move up to editor. They're actually really fine just being an assistant editor, uh, which is which is cool, which is you can make a living as an assistant editor. Um, and you also get really good at being an assistant when you um, when you've done it for, you know, 10 plus years. Yeah. And so um, I know some assistant editors there who they may not have an agent who works with them directly, but they may, you know, occasionally like poke an agent or so um, for interest on maybe, you know, getting help or um, securing a position um, somewhere. But a lot of, in my experiences with, with uh, my colleagues, most of the agents I know are with editors, mm-hmm. or if they do represent an assistant editor, it's an assistant editor that's trying to make a jump to editor. Got it. Got it. So, um, but most of the assistant editors I know, they don't, they don't have um, agents. And usually after, after a certain point, once you get on, a certain caliber of projects, you're able to kind of navigate your way to the next, mm-hmm. um, kind of the next, uh, I guess the next project, the next gig, your, your resume can kind of speak for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, you know, when you've got a line of shows or a line of features or, or whatnot on there, you know, that kind of, that kind of holds its own sometimes. <laughs> and so what about editors? How, I, out of 10 editors, how many have agents? Um, I think, well, if you, I guess if you would look like, if you looked at a show like Black Lightning that's on a network, mm-hmm. probably, I would think maybe half to a little more than half may have agents if you work on a network show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're working under CW, CBS, NBC, um, anything like that, more than not, you're going to probably have, uh, you know, half the editors have agents. Um Usually, like like on our show on Black Lightning, we have three editors, and um, I know one of my there's primarily one who has an agent. There, that's one of our second editors. She may have an agent, I'm not quite entirely sure. And then there's one that that doesn't. So it's kind of you know it's kind of fifty fifty, but I would at least say half. Okay, that's that's encouraging for all the editors listening. So you don't need an agent. No, you don't. Um, and especially well, and especially if there's so many different levels now, mm-hmm. you know, cause streaming has really, you know, changed the game of, you know, you can have a smaller show that does really well on a streaming um, platform. Yeah. I look at something like um, Verizon go 90, you know, that has like small 20 minute shows mm-hmm. and you can be an editor on that and you don't have to have an agent, you know, um, negotiate that. And plus you, you know, they're going to get their 10% out of it. So some people don't want to, you know, they don't want to split their money <laughs> with that. Um, so yeah, you don't, you don't necessarily, uh, have to have a, you know, to, to have an agent at different levels. Uh, there's, you can pretty much find work and not have the agent, you know, and, uh, yeah, if you're not necessarily TV, you're more in web series, um, you have YouTube red, you know, that's really grown, you know, you don't necessarily, there's just so many, there's so much like platforms and content now. Yeah, a lot of work out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what, uh, can you tell us about. Or can you tell us what a typical work day, work week is like for you working on Black Lightning? Yeah. So with Black Lightning, um, being in with the visual effects, I usually am reading the scripts of the of the episodes. Um, for this past season, we had 16 episodes. So reading the scripts is kind of is extremely important, extremely like, you know, to, to understand there are some visual effects uh, post-production personnel who don't necessarily always read the scripts um but i always find that you know you need context so um reading the scripts uh, is usually like my go-to my first go-to 
And then I'm usually collaborating with my visual. This year I had a visual effects coordinator. I mean, season two, I had a visual effects coordinator. Season one, I didn't have a coordinator. So um, my visual effects coordinator, I'll usually like uh, talk with them for any like uh, visual effects that have already been flagged. Um, we usually, uh, he did, he or she, uh, well, our, in specific, my coordinator was a he. Mm-hmm. He would already uh, deal with the visual effects bids that we had, which is usually like, you'll go through, we'll go through the script, they'll mark out which, uh, which visual effects um, items are, you know, noted or going to happen. And based off of the production schedule and how they're shooting, that's already kind of noted. And then it's usually fitted out. Specifically, we have a, one visual effects company we use for our show. Um, and that's Encore uh, Visual Effects. And so we use uh, we usually have a bid that comes from them, which is based on like how many shots per scene, you know, and how much it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. And so usually I'll coordinate with my coordinator, <laughs> uh, you know, what's already been noted based off the script. And then once we get the editor, once the editor comes in and he's going or she's going on their episode, because uh, they also have their own assistant editor as well. And so their assistant editor is usually processing dailies that may come in from shooting. And so I'll usually start ta- talking with the editor, um, you know, what direction they may be going, assets that I may already have mm-hmm. that can be used. And then I also have a visual effects artist on the show, on Black Lightning, who works with me as well. Mm-hmm. So we're usually also coordinating too about the episode. Uh, usually, now since we were on season two, we had a lot of stuff from season one, you know, that we could pull from that we were using. And so um, sometimes I would pull in assets from season one, like if there's certain graphics that we used, um, like for monitor comps, uh, or you know, there are a lot of times they're filming. Uh, when you see TV screens in certain scenes, a lot of the TV screens are blank when it's actually filmed, yeah. and then we go back and put in what's in the TV or the monitor. Um, so there's assets for that that I might have used, like either like QuickTime, you know, videos of different things that can be on the monitor. Also cell phones. A lot of times when they shoot cell phones, they're blank um, in production. So I might start like marking different things that we can use. And then once an editor has uh, a scene cut roughly in the way that they're going to, uh, the way they want it, they start to turn it over for visual effects. Um, so they may mark, uh, you know, hey, we have black lighting, he's flying here. Um, can you add, uh, we call it a digi-double, um, of black lightning, you know, soaring. And usually for us, we do temp visual effects um, that are in-house. So while the episode is going through its various versions, we have, um, we'll have temp, temporary visual effects that go just to illustrate the story. Yeah. And then once those are in a good position, you know, the editor can start like, you know, the assistant editor will start exporting the, the episode or the cut or the scene or, or whatever's needed. And so my job is to uh, track every single visual effect shot that happens in the episode. Mm. And so I make sure I'm kind of like a middle woman. I make sure the editor has what they need from visual effects uh, or for the VFX to be put in. Um, I make sure that the artist, he usually transfers uh, his visual effects that he's created. And then I also create some too, um, to me. And I make sure it's cut into the episode. And then I'm also responsible for once we're like good to go and locked on 
the visual effects, those get sent to our visual effects company, Mm -hmm. which is Encore. And I coordinate with them. I send them all the assets um, for them to create the final visual effects. And then once they're done, I cut them into the episode or if they need to be distributed for color or for sound, I do, I do all of that as well. Um, So I kind of follow the entire process of a visual effect shot (laughs) from beginning to end. Okay. Um, So that's, that's usually like, well, that's a little more than a day. That's, (laughs) that takes time, but yeah, that's a usual day. And uh, we did this past season, we had roughly 1800 visual effect shots. Wow. um, You know, for the season. And so I, I, I name and number them, you know, and that number of, for the shot follows it through the entire life of the series. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, we'll have, you know, a lot of the stuff that's eyes glowing, um, you know, maybe eyes glowing, uh, lightning blasts, you know, that come out of Black Lightning's hands. We also had his daughters, um, you know, for their powers. We had Jennifer, who's also lightning. She has her own style of lightning um, that she works, yeah, she does, which kind of has a fiery look to it. Um, but yeah, and then also, you know, helping to, sometimes I get to pop in and be a creative arm on what something may look like or give ideas and everything so it's been really cool with with black lightning because it didn't have very much when we started the show they didn't have very much to go off of Mm. um except for the comic books um in terms of he never really had his own show um before so we established a lot of rules for him in the tv world you know for what he can do his kind of own universe Mm. that he works in Uh, so that was pretty cool um oh i also work with uh what we call um invisible effects um or i mean it it has a couple different names but they're basically visual effects that you may not even realize you're watching as an audience Mm. because we're doing a lot of removing or covering up so for example like a lot of our stunt doubles we remove their wires in visual effects Mm -hmm. um so you know if they're flying off a building or jumping remove all of that uh we do what's called rig removal which if they're standing on a platform and it's supposed to look like they're floating in the sky, yeah. you know, we, we paint that out and remove it. Um, we've gone so far as we've actually added tears to one of the actor's eyes because he wasn't crying. Wow. <laughs> so like a lot of people don't even realize that. Um, a lot of times we're removing equipment or reflections mm-hmm. in some of those effects. Like maybe like you have like the, the crew, you know, the camera crew, you may see their reflections in cars. Mm-hmm. And things so we have to paint that out remove it uh we'll remove mcdonald's logos nike logos things that are not supposed to be there <laughs> or we don't have the ability to keep there yeah. um you know sometimes we don't get clearance you know there's maybe there's a mural you know behind you know in the far wall that we didn't get cleared to use so then it becomes a visual effect to paint that out um so a lot of different stuff people won't realize is a visual effect but um that's been it's been pretty cool to kind of get that experience with the show. Okay, that that sounds dope. Um, kind of ruined my experience watching the show. Now I really thought they were floating through air. <laughs> um, so what 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 aspect of editing do you spend the most time on when you're working on Black Lightning? I guess a large part of it is the temp visual effects. Um, because those will go through quite a process. Mm-hmm. Um, because we'll have see there's about roughly like five different cuts um that go out of an episode you know that or go through the stages of an episode Mm -hmm. you have the editor's cut 
um, director's cut, producer's cut, studio cut, lock cut. And so all these various versions of the cut will have different visual effects as we receive notes on various cuts. So that portion sticks with you for a while. And then what kind of makes the, you know, kind of makes my job like, you know, being, I guess, uh, proficient in my job is being able to juggle those various stages mm. with six or seven episodes at a time. Wow. So, cause you've got three editors, so three, you know, they're working on three episodes going at a time. And then as certain episodes are entering a different stage, they may have just finished filming another episode and it's been, you know, it gets sent right to us. Mm-hmm. So it takes about roughly eight days, maybe a little more, a little less to film an episode. Um, and then it comes over uh, to post-production. And how long, how long does it take for you to, to edit it, to, like to complete? 100 percent pleated episode like the entire process of an episode yeah. probably takes somewhere between a month uh to some change yeah, probably probably like a little more than a month almost two months to finish an episode mm-hmm. um to go through the whole process mm-hmm. you know to go through being completely edited getting all its visual effects being sent to color getting sent for sound mixing and then being all the paperwork that goes along with that and then it being um, uploaded and sent to all our various platforms, mm. which for us, our shows also go to Netflix. And so um, they have they have specific specs uh, for their delivery um, and everything. So kind of being, uh, I guess, on top of all those, I guess all those like phases, <laughs> it's roughly about two months. Um, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less um, in terms of what, you know, each episode has its own kind of nature you know, with, with what it goes through to get there. Sometimes certain episodes, they require a lot of pickups or some episodes, what, what's required to be in them is based on an earlier episode that may not be finished. So sometimes you're kind of playing like a cat and mouse a little bit with, with what's needed. Um, that kind of happened with, uh, towards the end of the season for, for uh, season two, mm-hmm. where we kind of had a two-part finale uh, so certain parts, you know, technically the finale couldn't be finished in a certain space until the episode four um, was finished and they were working like simultaneously, <laughs> you know, they were being cut at the same time. And so it was just, um, it was kind of really interesting, um, you know, space. So sometimes certain episodes, uh, they require more work, you know, require more, a little bit more like elbow grease. <laughs> What's the so you you were you were an assistant editor on Crashing. What what is the difference in the workflow for a comedy show like Crashing and and Black Lightning? Well, for uh, big differences, there's not of course as many visual effects. Um, just because Black Lightning is a superhero show and it falls under you know the DC Entertainment whole Warner Brothers umbrella. So there's not as much in terms of, yeah, the visual effects that, you know, were worked on. So we didn't necessarily have like a team or an assistant editor devoted to that, um, devoted to visual effects. Uh, so we were, you know, both teams are small. Um, Crashing was smaller. Um, we only had two editors. Um, there were less episodes, there were about eight episodes. And so um, that, that's one big thing. Um, in terms of the comedy style, which was uh, which was actually really fun to work on with Crashing, uh, 
with that series, because it involves a lot of comedians, mm-hmm. um, you have, you know, you have Pete Holmes, who's really driving the series, um, but he brings on all his comedian friends mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the series. And so um, a lot of times working with, you know, very well seasoned and um, very much, you know, within the industry comedians, they're allowed to add, they were allowed to ad lib a lot on this show so a lot of times i was watching a lot to see like where they got to the joke or they would go off script all the time (laughs) and stuff so a large part of that was kind of you know tapping into you know what the the needs of the show are what the style of the show is and also what's the uniqueness of the episode that can be applied with the editor Mm -hmm. in regards to the script so a lot of times i'm looking you know i'm marking things that are jokes that i found funny Mm-hmm. <laughs> or moments or takes that I thought was like, yo, this was the funniest take. I thought this was hilarious. You know, so that was kind of cool um, to work and to be in the HBO family. Um, I think a lot of, uh, there's a couple like signature, you know, series that, uh, you know, within the comedy style that, you know, they switch throughout the decades and I think Crashing has started to become one of their signature comedies. Mm-hmm series mm-hmm. um along with you know like insecure has become one and they really kind of you know mastered the smaller uh smaller episodes you know eight like eight episodes you know or some some shows they're you know limited series you know six or three episodes they really kind of gotten that formula mm-hmm. and so i thought um working with them um the workflow was a little different um but the, it was very like because it's you know with hbo it's not necessarily like primetime network mm-hmm. TV, so it kind of has sometimes a relaxed nature to it because they create the schedule the way they want to. It's not based off of, you know, I guess seasons in the sense of like, this is our spring show or fall show all the time. You know, they can, they have some flexibility, some wiggle room um, that sometimes primetime networks don't always have or use. Mm. So it gives off like kind of a very relaxed nature. And, you know, it was just, yeah, it was just such a smaller team. Okay. You know, so that that made it you know really fun to work with. Okay, and in regards to the ad libbing, improvising, was mm-hmm. it is it frustrating? Is it frustrating for editors to edit that or to piece the story together when there's a lot of ad libbing, improvising? I wouldn't say it's frustrating. It's just a little more work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you because once you for me, especially coming on in season two, you know where there already was you know the season one. Um, kind of established uh some of the editors they knew the nature of the show Mm. and so they were kind of ready for it (laughs) and then me coming on a season two I was like you know this is my first time you know interacting with the show and so it was a little new for me sometimes with kind of how far they would ad lib um it wasn't horrible you know just kind of added more time into your day (laughs) or uh you know more task at hand um but because it's not an hour-long program you know, it's more of a half hour comedy that uh, that kind of made, you know, getting to the to the point a little easier because you don't have to necessarily fill time and stuff. But I guess it with my editor, he was used to it. He came also from working on Silicon Valley. And so he was kind of used to already kind of the model, um, you know, with certain HBO series. And uh, it wasn't I just would say it was frustrating or hard just you know just added a little bit more you just had to work a little harder and and each actor was different <laughs> you know that would come on and each comedian um how they did certain things or how they ran the joke 
Um, so for me, that was, I had done a little bit of comedy editing and, but it was primarily like in grad school. Um, it wasn't for my professional work. Um, or you guess you could say my grad school work was in a way professional work, um, you know, for what we submitted it for in festivals and stuff. Um, but working with HBO was my first time, you know, working on a, a comedy series. So it was, it was, I had nothing to compare it to. <laughs> so it was, it was still like you know whether it took longer it was still a good experience okay so do you you seem i'm sure you're incredibly passionate you seem incredibly passionate about editing assistant editing do you find any parts of it to be frustrating or tedious yeah it's definitely at the assistant editing level you're there is definitely tediousness <laughs> to a lot of the things we do because we're working on the technical side you know we're, we're, we're doing all the, you know, the technical uh, issues so that our editors don't have to deal with them. You know, so why, you know, certain media is, you know, playing weird or audio or, um, you know, for me, like, I guess on the visual effects side with um, tracking shots, sometimes that's a tedious task. Um, you know, an episode may have like 100, maybe 110 visual effect shots mm. and making sure I keep up with whether that shot stays in through the entire uh, length of the show. Sometimes at a certain, we may get notes at a certain stage that may end up removing a shot. And sometimes I have to like really stay on, you know, when that happens, you know, if an editor changes something in his cut, I have to make sure I'm aware of it because that affects it on my end, like, oh, if a shot's been removed, it's no longer a visual effect shot. It's no longer something we have to pay for mm -hmm. to get done. Mm -hmm. You know, you never want to like, you know, when you start messing around with money and you end up having the production spend more money than necessary, that's a huge, like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, so sometimes there's, there's tediousness in trying to, to keep up with that and keep up with every stage. Um, there's also a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of paperwork that kind of goes along with, especially on our show, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, we have paperwork for every cut that goes out. You know, it gets sent, not only uploaded to the various programs that we use um, to distribute to producers to watch or to directors to watch, there's also like, it gets, um, it gets archived and stored. And so there's all types of paperwork that goes with it. We have what's called, like an example is continuity sheets. Mm -hmm. And so continuity sheets are basically like a breakdown of the episode and it's how long each scene is in each uh, part of the episode. So if you have um, like scene five, uh, you know, is Jefferson gets into an argument with his wife and you may put that particular scene took two minutes, you know, in terms of uh, maybe you were to do like an in and out um, you know, how long that was. And by in and out, I mean, when it starts and when it ends, mm. <laughs> um, you know, we have to keep track of that. And so continuity sheets go out after every cut. And then we also put like, you know, what music soundtrack is used for it. Um, you know, all types of information can go in there. So that can be kind of tedious because uh, usually those happen either at night or on Fridays. Mm -hmm. So after the editor's done, you know, that's when an AE um, is going in and they're exporting their cut. And there may be specifications that the AE needs to meet when a cut goes out. You know, of course, it's got to have a slate. It's got to have a time code. You know, it's got to have different markers or we'll call it banners sometimes or tickers that go at the bottom of a shot that say this is temporary or, 
you know, we're missing a line here or this is ADR, you know, so there's a lot, a lot that goes, um, you know, into making sure everyone understands <laughs> uh, what's going on in the episode when it's pretty rough. And so that's, uh, that can be tedious. <laughs> um, it's frustrating when, you know, when you, when you have software issues, that's, that's always like, uh, you know, frustrating, uh, you know, cause we, we primarily cut on Avid for the show. And then for after, for visual effects, we also use After Effects mm-hmm. um, as well to do some of our temp, temp visual effects. And so sometimes you have times when Avid is not, you know, working correctly. It's not functioning. Yeah. Um, maybe taking too long to do something. Um, usually we're able to, you're able to troubleshoot it, um, especially having been on the show now for um, as long as, uh, you know, we've had it. We're using a lot of the same vendors for our equipment um, and various things. So now it's it's easier to fix some problems because you run into them before um, and everything. But yeah, so I mean, I would, I would definitely say there's a tediousness to it. I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't say like it's smooth sailing, <laughs> you know, for most of the work day. Okay. So you mentioned y'all y'all edit on Avid. Is that the standard for studio productions to in, you know, 2018-2019? Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of studios that still use Avid um or Avid, yeah. I would say it's a benchmark definitely. Um when I came out here, I made sure that I knew Avid and mm-hmm. a lot of the uh productions like when I was working on Animal Planet, you know, with Puppy Bowl, that was Avid. Um, I used, I made sure that a lot of my, I guess my, my thesis film that I did in grad school, I made sure to cut on Avid because I wanted to make sure I knew it. Mm -hmm. And I took courses in Avid. Um, so it's definitely a program that's, you know, heavily used. Um, but I would also say, you know, learning other software programs because they come into play all the time too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I pretty much know a gamut of them, you know, with Premiere, yeah, most of the Adobe Cloud, you know, Adobe Cloud. Um, I use Photoshop and After Effects um, using Premiere, Final Cut, uh, DaVinci Resolve. Um, you know, I'm learning uh, or trying to learn Nuke Studio, which is uh, another program that's good for visual effects. And that's more of like node-based editing system versus nonlinear editing system, which is an Avid in Premiere. Um, and every, like, I find that you know, knowing the mo- knowing as many as you can does not hurt. Um, you know, being because you'll switch kind of back and forth sometimes. Um, so being well versed in them, or sometimes you need to troubleshoot something and you can throw it into another program um, to try to figure it out. And I've just worked so many different places that were you know required different for different things. Like in reality, you know, you may use uh, one of the you know, with World of Wonder Productions, they were still doing reality shows on Final Cut 7. Wow. And that's, man. <laughs> exactly. They were still, they were still pumping out Final Cut 7. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you had to, you had to know that. Um, I was also using Final Cut 10 to do some of my exports when I was working on some of the Bravo Network mm-hmm. reality shows. You know, so it's, it's uh, great to know or good to know, you know, as many as possible. And I know it's tough because like, you know, some people get overwhelmed um you know with how many or how much you need to know mm-hmm. and i always say take a day at a time you know like some like when i'm in avid i make sure that i'm like well versed in my avid and there's enough there's enough like you know facebook groups and youtube groups like if you need to know something like you know to easily like look it up or search it and just kind of have the confidence in that like if there's something i don't know it's okay because i'll find a way to know it. 
what's, you know, so. what's a Facebook group, one Facebook group you can throw out there for people to look up? Um, well, you can always look up Avid has a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always ask questions on there. Like I've asked questions on there or like opinions for workflows. Um, there's a lot of assistant editor groups on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one like I need an assistant editor <laughs> on Facebook. Uh, you can always like throw questions out there. And the same with Premiere. Um, you know, Premiere has Facebook groups. They have their own um, forums on the Adobe website. Mm-hmm. If you ever have a question. Um, and then, you know, being out here now for um, mm-hmm. some time, like, you know, well, I guess I'm still kind of a newbie. I've only been out here less than three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've created a circle of assistant editors and editors that I can always call on if I have a question or confused about something. Like I'll text one of my friends like, hey, have you done such and such with audio before? Like I'm looking for this effect. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, oh, it's here. Like drop this on there, adjust it to such and such level. You know, so it, um, it's it been, you know, now like a... a I guess with social media, it's easier to find that assistance, you know? Okay. But so a lot of shows edit on Avid. Is there one that's more prominent than the other? Like is Adobe, is Premiere more used more than Avid? Or is it just kind of like, is it hard to measure? Um, I would say a lot of like, I would, I would say a lot of network shows just because they're, they also run kind of a, I guess some certain studios are, of course, older than others. Mm-hmm. And I find that some of the studios that are, that have a legacy of pump, pumping out shows, they use Avid. And more of the newer companies and new media um, prefer Premiere. Yeah. You know, so you could be working on a YouTube Red show and they're using Premiere. Um, but you also have like a lot of third party vendors that a lot of their workflow is accustomed for. Avid. Why is that? Why are the older studios using Avid, the newer ones using Premiere? Like, I think it's at, you know at the point where Avid was king. You know, they're uh, you know av- like everything was based around Avid, and then you had Final Cut Seven or Final Cut Pro come around and, and kind of change the game and kind of be a competitor. Uh, but then they came out with Final Cut Ten, which was more user friendly for novice, you know, people in editing, and that kind of rose Avid <laughs> back up, you know. So I think a lot of a lot of workflows were based around when Avid, you know, is or was king, um, and they haven't really changed off that. Like it, it's to the point where you would spend like maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in your workflow you know, switch from off of Avid. Oh, that's, and, what, that's what it would cost them. Yeah. You know, oh, it's, it's okay. so you find that a lot of, um, and you have a lot of editors too, that are some of the, the great, you know, ed- great editors that are working right now, they know Avid. So sometimes the production is, you know, in order to get that expertise, they'll bring on, you know, they would rather have a software that those editors are comfortable with than bringing on something new and the editor's confused and they're like, I can't do my job because, you know, I don't know, this was the software being used or mm-hmm. usually at the case, they'll know the software before they come on mm-hmm. or whatever. But, um, and uh, and sometimes it's a producer's choice, you know, what they want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, most of the, uh, most of the, the shows that I've worked on, it's primarily added. Okay. And my spare time and my independent, you know, private projects, I use Premiere. <laughs> Why is that? Um, it's it's good for like shorter projects. It's less of a of a of an online workflow. Mm-hmm. As you could say, like reconnecting media, relinking media, it's just easier in Premiere. Um, 
versus Avid, Avid creates its own file for media when you import it into the software mm-hmm. and we're using it around. So you have to really be aware of, uh, of Avid's, um, Avid's folder structure um, versus Premiere, you, you know, it's pretty much just, you know, linking to wherever you put a file or wherever you put a piece of media. Mm-hmm. So it's a little easier, you can move faster. Um, and it works for smaller projects, you know, um, when doing that, and it's, it's, it's a pretty good, like all in one, you know, in terms of, uh, when I'm collaborating with After Effects and Photoshop, it's really easy to kind of link in between the three. Um, you know, and working with network TV, a lot of, a lot of what we do is segmented, you know, it has its own phase and its own stage and its own personnel of people, you know, so like. For example, you know, for visual effects, we're our own department, you know, so things are exported or sent to us specifically in a way through Avid for visual effects. Mm -hmm. And likewise, like, you know, we have a sound effects team um, as part of our sound mixing team. You know, so I send things specifically to our sound effects artists, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's very segmented, you know, so you don't necessarily need like Avid to, to connect to another program because we're going to hire a person who can do that on their own program. You know, they just need, need to make sure they have the assets from it and stuff. So I think Avid works, you know, in that capacity, you know, with all these other programs, um, you know, which is why I guess studios haven't, haven't taken it away. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned that you are, you know, you, you spend time and work on your own projects. Um, I'm, I'm just kind of, flabbergasted that you have time to work on your own projects and i'm curious to know like what i guess what you're working on and what your like what your long-term goal is like do you want to be a career assistant editor or you know what what is your trajectory um so for me my trajectory i um do not want to necessarily stay an assistant editor for all of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely moving up as editor. And I've been an editor, you know, previously on the East Coast in that market. Mm-hmm. So just working towards being an editor in this market for a major studio mm-hmm. you know, project. So that's kind of the goal. Um, but also just to create, you know, I just enjoy creating. And um, a lot of the, sometimes an independent smaller project is something that leads to something bigger, you know? So that's why I don't, I don't rule out, you know, working on other projects. Um, right now, uh, since Black Lightning is on a break, our seasonal break or hiatus, mm-hmm. I'm actually working with Netflix um, on an internal production, mm-hmm. uh, basically a, one of their company films that is, you know, just shown through the Netflix um the Netflix, uh, I guess, corporate departments and also our shareholders. Mm-hmm. And so in a similar way, you know, if you've seen when Apple does their um, their various uh, shows where they show their company films for innovate, you know, different technology or innovation, mm-hmm. you know, Netflix has a similar, uh, similar thing that they do. So that's what I'm working on right now. I'm currently assistant editor, but doing a lot of creative things kind of outside that role with them. Uh, so that's been really cool. And so I'm only with them like for a short time. And then I've also been working with um, a filmmaker friend of mine um, on a docu, a documentary that's short right now and it could get to something bigger. Um, but it follows a young lady who's about 11 years old who competes in the California Junior Rodeo. And she's an African-American cowgirl. 
and we're kind of following her story. And so that's something I'm working on uh, right now. And so that's really fun. Um, can't wait to, to kind of finish that up and, you know, and then, you know, my friend will show it to the world. So that's been kind of a, a side project I've worked on. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of, you, when you're in season, like, like something like black lighting, where it is long hours, um, you do have to just, you, you got to put in the extra work wherever you can mm-hmm. to kind of keep, keep pushing towards your goal. Um, you know, and, and using like using a show to, to help meet your goals, um, there's a lot of mentorship that happens in editorial, mm-hmm. you know, between an editor and assistant editor. Um, and so that's one way, like, that's kind of one benefit you have of being an assistant editor is you have that mentorship. You kind of have that guidance with an editor that will um, either, you know, sometimes editors give their assistant editor scenes, mm-hmm. you know, so you're cutting a scene on the show. You know, I cut a scene on Black Lightning, um, you know, for kicks. <laughs> I didn't necessarily make it onto the show, but it was just to keep to keep creating and keep yeah. cutting. Um, a lot of the visual effects I make, you know, you all never see it because it's more internal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still like, you know, it adds to the creative nature of where the show went. Yeah. You know, something that I drafted, you know, helps you know be a, uh, I guess, a starting point, a launching a launching point. Yeah. for what the visual effect became how do you how do you get to that that level of becoming a show i think sometimes it's tenure in addition to um you know if you if you're on a series um for a significant amount of time you know you can parlay your way you know up to being an editor um because you know the series well um also it's you know your editor can also be a, a liaison for that as well mm-hmm. if they know that's something that you want to do and you really work towards it you've proven that you can cut an episode you know from start to finish um you've shown that you can connect with the showrunner the writer or not even the writers producers um which is interesting because with black lightning our post team like our post-production office or myself and my other editors is next to our writers, uh, which is not always the case. Sometimes the editorial team, we're like in another building, we're in another location. So we kind of have an advantage because we can always go ask a writer what their intentions were. <laughs> you know, but um, but that was like a tangent. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, you know, you can move up and I guess on the TV show side by, you know, being with a show for some time. That's like one way to do it. Um, there's a there's like a number of pathways to do it, you know. However, however you may connect with the producer, um, sometimes it's the creator of a show and the producer. Sometimes it's the showrunner being involved on who comes on editorial too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of varies, but there are a number of ways to 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 move up. Okay, why wouldn't someone want to become an editor? Why would someone want to stay as a career assistant editor? Um, I think for some for some of my friends who are career assistant editors, I think they they don't they enjoy the work mm-hmm. at the assistant level. Um, I think you in order to stay at it, I think you'd have to to really um, find that that's a niche for you. And for some people, that's that's their niche. They're like, I I enjoy this. I like being support. I like being um, or I like you know leading in this capacity. Mm-hmm. And you know you have you have varying levels varying ages varying experiences um you know i explain that to some of my some of my friends and colleagues who aren't in tv you know and some may think an assistant position is something that's like something you have when you're out of college or 
something like that, or when you're younger. And I'm like, no, like to be an assistant editor, they're like, you know, you have assistant editors that are 40 plus, 50 plus, you know, in age. And, you know, you don't have necessarily have to have come out of college saying, I want to be in TV to, to make your way through to being an assistant editor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really great to hear other like assistant editors or editors stories in terms of like what their life was before this, <laughs> you know, you have some, you have some assistant editors who used to work in banking and they're like, I had always wanted to be in TV and I wanted to, um, you know, be an editorial and I've been editing on the side and passionate. And so they, they were able to network their way and come in to be an assistant editor. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot of assistant editor jobs, sometimes more than there are editor positions. Um, on a particular project, um, they may bring on more assistants than they do editors, um, you know. And so sometimes it's it's a little more lucrative to stay an assistant editor for some. Okay, is, is there like it, like tips you can offer for filmmakers and directors and screenwriters that like that you see because you're assistant editing or editing? I think keep creating, keep creating, keep writing. Um, people are always going to be interested in what what you're working on currently or what you've had in your past um, or, you know, past catalog of, of things, of content. Um, and just like, don't let anybody tell you like that story doesn't matter or, you know, or that you can't do X, Y, and Z. You know, this is kind of 2019, you know, keep writing and keep creating. Mm-hmm you know, your stories. And I have stuff that I did in grad school that, you know, applies to, you know, I've shown my, my stuff and they're like, oh, wow, this was pretty good. You know, just it's things I may have done a couple of years ago or, you know, and I, I show my friends or colleagues things I'm working on now. And, you know, it's always a matter of, you know, keep, you know, just keep creating. You'll always have something to show. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a writer, you should always have, you should always be writing. You know, there should never not be something you're either working on or finished or, you know, have, you know, and the same for me, like I'm always cutting, you know, finding a way to, to continue my growth as an editor and to continue cutting and cutting and scripted and stuff. And it doesn't have to be, you know, for, of course I assistant edit on Black Lightning, but for other projects, it doesn't have to be something that big, you know, in order for me to continue to create. And, you know, it's kind of, if I, if I don't find ways to create, I get bored. <laughs> you know, I, yeah you know i'm getting i get bored and i'm like you know i i, I can't just do the the in and out day to day of just kind of the, the tedious part you know you gotta be creating with it so that's kind of my advice um you know to any artist in their profession um you know and just don't don't let somebody tell you that you can't do something you know i never thought i could be in like a dc comics world i never knew that you know if you told me that in college i'd be like what you know and seize the opportunities when they come you know uh sometimes you know people are you know they say you know when opportunity comes knocking and i always say sometimes the opportunity isn't going to knock necessarily you know god brings brings you to the door but it's up to you to open it you know and so you know don't knock down like what a certain opportunity can bring to you even if it's not entirely what you envisioned you know there there's some growth to that and you know something that you can maybe learn from it you know and i I've come like a long way since my days in this, you know, and, um, you know, it's cool. Like now I can say that I've been in the industry 10 years. 
Um, which for some people, that's like a speck, you know, and for me, it is kind of just a, I'm just now getting started, you know, into what it takes that long, you know, uh, even if you start coming, I came right out of college, you know, and now do I only feel like I'm really getting into like who I am in my artistry, you know? So I, that's, that's, yeah, the advice I would give to, to other artists. Black Lightning is a is a, a black casted show. What is what is the editing room like? Is it also mostly black people? I would say we're a little bit of a mix. Mm. Um, so with season one, um, definitely we had a lot of a lot of black women in editorial. Nice, and it was really refreshing. <laughs> you know, it was definitely a a show that wants to make sure that we're present. And it was really rewarding to kind of be in that environment. And, um, you know, having Black women in editorial, um, you know, I'm always, you know, I'm always for, you know, the sheroes <laughs> of uh, an editorial, you know, women in general, and then just having, you know, Black women in the room, you know, it was really great. And, you know, for the show, it films in Atlanta, you know, so it's, uh, it's very prevalent, um, you know, it's, it's easier to get, you know, crew and uh, I guess crew on that side that's in a, you know, a heavily predominant, predominantly um, African-American city. Mm-hmm. And in L.A., L.A. is not necessarily like in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, there we're still a lot of we're still trying to make strides, you know, in, in editorial. And actually in front of the camera has been a little bit more progressive than what's been behind it. You know, we're we're still trying to push um, for more to to see more um, African Americans and Blacks in post production, to see more African Americans or people of color in general, mm-hmm. and women in editorial. Um, it's still like you know, it's still perceived, and at times is a very much white man's role. Yeah. You know, and so I like that with Black Lightning, it, it helped change the narrative a bit more behind the scenes you know, for us to have, you know, that many African-American women in editorial. Nice. And then at, in season two, we still have a mix. It's not as many women because, um, you know, people change projects, you know, from season to season. So we've had new people come on and we've had some who've moved on um, to other projects. So the makeup is a little different, but we still have, you know, there's still, you know, African-American um like myself and a couple of my colleagues that were in editorial, that are in editorial at Blacklight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then myself, you know, I'm the only, you know, Black woman in visual effects um, over there internally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll say that because we do use a number of visual effects artists, um, you know, for the show. And they range from being in Atlanta to being in Los Angeles okay. as well. So internally, though, I'm the only, you know, only woman, um, you know, only Black woman. <laughs> thank you so much anidra for joining us in the black film space podcast but yeah where where can uh where can our community find you on social media uh you can find me if you want to look up my credits you can always go to the internet movie database.com mm-hmm. or imdb.com um i'm on there you can also do linkedin um i do uh do facebook and i'm on facebook and instagram but i mostly have like personal pages so i don't always post my work but um if you hit me up on linkedin or um you know usually facebook if we're probably you know uh if you're in different editing spaces or, or anything like that you can usually probably 
find me on there too and just say like, oh, I heard you on this podcast or something, give reference, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always open on Facebook, um, you know, if you, if you just kind of give me a little hint where you may have heard of me. <laughs> okay. But always like IMDb, LinkedIn. Um, and yeah. Thank you so much, Anidra. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Black Film Space podcast. If you're interested in being part of our community and attending events, blackfilmspace.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Black Film Space. Subscribe to our email list and podcast. Alright, thanks. See you soon.